Amen. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here this morning and share the word with you. Um, and the, the title of my, my sermon this morning is The Need for Resurrection. So it's The Need for Resurrection. Uh, it's, it's very a privilege sometimes to come and speak at a baptism service. Um, and I don't know if you know kind of the root of baptism and where it kind of came from. I've got a little picture here. This is of Jesus' baptism where John the Baptist baptized Jesus and a dove came and in the, south, in the uh, form of the Holy, the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove and rested upon Jesus and a voice from heaven came, the Father. Um, I'm not sure we're going to get those today. Um, we'll see how it goes. Maybe doves. Did we arrange any doves to come uh, out of the loft? Um, and, and voices coming from the sky. We'll see how that happened. But obviously, there was a practice in that day of people being baptized, and Jesus would say, come and be baptized for your sins. And, and part of when we come uh, for baptism now, it's, it's in remembrance of that and celebration of um, what God is doing in our lives. And so we're going to be looking at that today. And when I think of baptism, I think baptism is a lot like a wedding. I don't know if you've ever thought along those lines, but I think a baptism is a lot like a wedding. And now, I've been married now for 15 years. Our anniversary was two weeks ago. Uh, and so, obviously, every year we, we celebrate our anniversary and remember that time when we got married. Right here, Louisa and I, we got married here, and we had the traditional ceremony where I stood waiting for a long time for my <laughs> wife to turn up. Um, people d did say, are you worried she's not going to come? I was like, no, I'm quite confident. Um, and that confidence ebbed and, <laughs> ebbed and flowed. But she eventually turned up and we, we were married. But that ceremony wasn't our marriage. And it also didn't, wasn't the start of our relationship. We'd actually started a relationship before that. Um, we'd started a relationship, we actually dated for about a year and a half, but we even knew each other before that as well. And so when we think about coming together um, in marriage, the, the wedding ceremony, generally speaking, um, is not the first time you meet people, each other. Louisa didn't come down the aisle and we, I didn't go, oh, she's all right, I've not met her before. <laughs> I knew her. We had a relationship. Um, and in a sense, what the wedding ceremony was recognizing was that relationship that was already in place. And so it was recognizing something that had gone before, but also recognizing something that was to come. Because I don't know about you and what vows you gave at your wedding ceremony, if you got married, but you know, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, all those kind of things um, that you say. Because what you're saying is, in this moment, we're, we're taking what's already there and we're making a commitment to what's also going to come. And so when we begin to think about baptism, I think about it in, in the same way. The other way that I think about baptism is, in the same way about marriage, is the end of one thing and the beginning of something new. And it's symbolizing that, it's representing that. And what this does, um, and so when we come to that, it's... it's the end of that old thing, and the start of a public confession. And again, when we have a wedding, it's a public confession. It's, it's where we stand before our friends and our family, and we make these vows, we say these things, because it's expressing, hopefully, what is already inside, but we're declaring it to others. And when we come for baptism, again, it's doing that. But the other thing that I think baptism is like, 
And I think marriage, sorry, a wedding is like, is like a funeral. Um, and again, because it's the end, as I, I realised I jumped ahead in my notes. It's the end of one thing, let's scratch the other bit, at the end of one thing and the beginning of something new. It's the end of one thing and the beginning of something new. And when we think about a lot of these things, there is often death is required for something new to come. One thing needs to end before another thing comes. And so even as we think about a funeral, what we believe is that when you die, there's an eternal life after that. There's something more to come. And so just like a baptism, just like a, a wedding, and just like a funeral, something ends and something new begins. I was thinking a, a bit about marriage, and I was thinking a lot of people struggle to enter into the fullness of what a marriage is about. And I believe that is because what I'm talking about, this transition from death, through a death into something new, doesn't actually happen. Has anyone ever said to you, if you got married, you know, the first year of marriage is the hardest? Did anyone say that to you? It was like, thanks for that like, word of confidence. Um, it, to be honest, it wasn't for us, actually. Um, we had a really good first year of marriage. After that, it was, no. uh, it was all uphill. Um, and I wonder if the reason for this is because when we get married, something has to die. Now, I believe what that thing that has to die is our singleness. Because you come to this place where you've got two single people and then they come together and the Bible says they become one, one flesh. And so imagine you become one flesh and you're joined to somebody, you know, arm in arm, but yet you're trying to live separately from that person. There's always going to be a struggle. There's always going to be a strife amongst that. And I believe in that first year of marriage, often people come together and the reason they struggle is because they still have got a single mindset. They still are thinking of themselves. They, they still think everything is going to be the same as where, when they were single. And so actually, for marriage to flourish, so we've got a baptism service, but it's also a marriage seminar. Um, for, for marriage to flourish, singleness has to die. Good. Let's, let's uh, sink in. And when we allow that to happen, when we allow that death to happen, something new and wonderful comes from it. And so, just like a funeral, a funeral is a bit like a marriage, and a marriage is a bit like baptism. When we think about baptism today, I don't know if you've seen the pool out back. We've got a, a pool, and it's quite full, actually. John said, I won't fill it too much, but it's quite full, if you want to swim later. Um, but in baptism, we symbolise this death by going down into the water. And that's what this symbolism is there. It's going down into water, symbolising the death. Now, the bit after that is probably the most important thing that happens today, because that's the coming up. Because if they don't come up, we get into trouble, you know? It's not a good celebration if they don't come up. If we hold them down there, as was threatened to Marcus, if we hold them down there a bit too long, that's not good. And so a really important part, probably the most important part, is that when we take them down, we also bring them back up. And when we think about that coming up, what that represents is the resurrection. And I believe, and this maybe we could have 
we can have a good debate about this at some point. But the resurrection is arguably the most important part of Christianity. The resurrection is arguably the most important part of Christianity. Oh, I missed that lovely slide. Okay, the Apostle Paul said this. I've got my little figures back again, if you saw my sides a few weeks ago. The Apostle Paul said, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So basically he's saying, if Christ is not been raised, if there's not a resurrection, then we might as well all just pack up and go home. And that's the truth for us today, here in this church. If Christ has not been raised, let's just turn off the mics, shut the lights off, shut the doors, let's go home, let's go and play golf, let's go and do whatever you want to do, uh, go back to bed, snuggle up, you know, get the paper, whatever it is that you would love to be doing right now, you might as well go and do it if Christ has not been raised. The resurrection is so important. But why is that? Why? Because I can say that to you, the resurrection is so important, and you might go, okay, it sounds important, um, but you might not understand why, or maybe you've never even heard about the resurrection or considered it, but let's think about why. And there's a story from the book of John that I want us to think about, and it's, if you want to look at it, I'm going to breeze through it a bit, but it's in the John chapter 11. And it's the story of Lazarus. Now, Lazarus, this is Lazarus with his two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they were really good friends of Jesus, and they've got history. They, they love each other, and there's a good relationship there. But Lazarus got ill. So it's Lazarus lying on his bed, not feeling too good. And so because he was ill, uh, his sisters sent for Jesus. Because you know what? If you know Jesus and you've got someone who's ill, he's the really good person to call upon. You're like, he's the one who's raised, uh, sorry, given people back their eyesight, you know, unblocked their ears, healed their paralysis. He's done all these miracles, and you're like, Lazarus is ill, I've got a mate, Jesus, and he can heal this kind of thing. Let's go and call him. He's a good friend to have. So they sent for Jesus. And then it says this interesting thing. It says, Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So that's given us a bit of context to this relationship. Jesus loved them. And it says because he loved them, he decided to wait two days. And that's a really strange one. It's like, imagine if you said to me, quick, Daniel, come. I need your help. I say, okay, I really love you. I'll be there in two days. You know, it's like, no, this is really happening. John had a flood. And imagine, you know, it's like, Daniel, quick, bring the buckets, bring the mops. I need you. He didn't say this. But imagine he did. And I said, great. I really love you, John. I'll be there in two days. You'd think, I'm not sensing the love. I'm not feeling the love here. But yet Jesus loved him, and so he decided to wait. We'll look at maybe why that is. And so in these two days, they found out Lazarus had died. So not great. And he said by the time he got there, he had been dead for four days. So actually, I think if you do the maths, it means even if he had left straight away, he would have been dead anyway. And so he had been dead four days. And on the way, he's nearly at the place, uh, and... Martha, as is her way, she comes out to meet Jesus. And Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And again, in some respects, this is, you could take this as two ways. It could be like, Jesus, if you had been here, it's a bit of a telling off. But also you could look at it in a way of great faith. that Martha is saying, you know what, 
I believe in you so much that if you had been here, things would have been different. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Again, it's a bit of a leading statement. It's kind of like, you didn't do it, but you're here now. Let's get this done. You know, let's get him back to life. Because even now, I know that if you say it, it's going to happen. So Martha was a, a great woman of faith in some respects, and also quite practical. We, we read that in previous stories about Mary and Martha. She was the practical one. She's like, Jesus, you're here now. Let's get this on. Let's get this Lazarus raised from the dead. You didn't do what I wanted, but let's do it now. And so they get to this point. So then Jesus comes back to her. Your brother will rise again. Martha replies, I know that. He will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I don't know if ever Jesus has given you an answer to something, and you're like, yeah, 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 but that's not exactly what I'm asking. And because what Martha believed, she believed that the resurrection was going to be an event that happened at the end of time. At the end of days, everyone is raised. And she's like, I know he's going to raise again, and that's nice, but I kind of want it now. I don't want it in a thousand years or whenever it might be, 2,000 years, 3,000 years. I want it now. So I know he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And the thing that then Jesus says to her is really important. It's so important that I think it's the key for why we are here today. He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. When we think about the resurrection of Jesus, again, even we often will think about this event. If you know your Bible, Jesus died upon a cross, and three days later, he was resurrected. And we think about this event that happened. So in her mind, Martha was thinking about this event that would happen sometime in the future. And maybe in our minds, we think about the resurrection as an event that happened Um, three days after Jesus died. But yet Jesus is saying this. He's saying, I am. The resurrection is not an event, it's a person. Equally, he hadn't even been resurrected yet, had he? This is before that. So he's saying, in a sense of what is to come, he's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. And the thing is, the resurrection of Jesus also sets Christianity apart from everything else. If we look at the life of Jesus. We look at a man who came and he taught some really good stuff. There are other people in this world who have taught really good stuff. Like you can get some quotes. I I did this quiz once. um, I think it was with the youth and it was called Jesus or Gandhi. And so you put a quote and you have to say who said what? Jesus or Gandhi? Because the truth is Gandhi said some really cool stuff. Um, But Jesus said some really cool stuff. Jesus also said some really weird stuff. You know, stuff that actually, you know when people say Jesus was such a good teacher, it's like clearly you've never read Jesus' teaching. Because if you do, when he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, that's not good teaching. That's kind of weird. You know, Jesus said some weird stuff that if you don't really understand what he's saying, you're going to be easily turned off. And so Jesus lived that, and he died for what he believed in. And again, there are many people who have died for what they believe in. You know, I... You look at what's happening, is it in um, Iran? Is it in Iran at the moment where there's a lot of trouble going on? And I think these people, these protesters, are dying for what they believe in, which is incredible. And there are people who have always died for what they believe in. But the key difference with Jesus 
but no one else did. He raised himself from the dead. God raised him from the dead. And that's not happened anywhere else. This is the key marker that sets Jesus apart. And Jesus here was saying, I am the resurrection and the life. It's me, it is here, it is now. It's not an event that's going to happen in, in this sense, it's probably maybe a few months' time. It's not an event that's going to happen in a couple of thousands of years' time. It's something that is right here, right now, and it's not something, it's someone, and that someone is me. And this is what Jesus was saying to them. When you're looking, when we think about that process, and I'm saying that you have to go through something, and death has to happen, and then life comes from it. What Jesus is saying through this, he's saying that new life, that new thing, is me. And actually, it's through going through that death, you receive me. And that is what you get. Peter put it this way. He, and Peter was a good friend of Jesus, if you didn't know. He said, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's caused us to be born again. Which obviously means, there's again, that idea of dying to come through to life. And not just any life, but it's a living hope. And we, again, we look around the world at the moment, and maybe you watch the news, and you can think, oh my gosh, what is going on? You know, where is our hope? And this is our answer. We are born again to a living hope, because Jesus didn't, wasn't overcome by death. He wasn't overcome by the grave. He wasn't overcome by sin or any other person. But he was triumphant, and he had victory, and he was resurrected to new life. But not only was he resurrected to new life, but because we are in him, we are given new life. And again, you look around and people, I, I just, oh, I can get on a bit of a soapbox here, but I, I, I despair almost, because you see where people are confused, where people are grasping at things for their identity, for their hope, for their life. And yet Jesus is saying to us today, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus goes on and says to Martha, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So there's this process. If you believe in me, you die. You've got to die. And again, think about that at a baptism, at a wedding. You know, you don't often think about that as a good thing. If I come to you and we think about the gospel, the gospel means good news. And the good news this morning is you've got to die. It doesn't sound like good news. And so when Jesus said, you know what, I'm going to stay two days. I'm not going to come straight away and I'm going to let you die, Lazarus. That's the good news. You're like, what? How is that good news? Because he says, because if you die, yet you will live. The only way you can live is if you die. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And so again, there's that promise after that of an eternal life. Because the truth is that if Jesus had gone, quick, Guys, let's get our skates on. Get the donkey, the fast one, and let's get to Bethany, and let's go and heal Lazarus, stop Lazarus from dying. We don't want him to die. 
they would have all missed out on something. They would have missed out, and that's the spoiler for the story. Yeah, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and he calls him out of the tomb. And the, but what they do in that moment, they encounter Jesus. And often in our life, we want to encounter Jesus, and we want life, we want all this, but we're not willing to let something die in order to do that. Think about that in the course of marriage. You know, you're like, do you want a good marriage? Yes. Who, who, no, you don't think anyone's going to say, no, I don't. You're, you know, you get married for hopefully a very good reason, but you actually like that person at least, and then you want to be with them, and you want a decent relationship. And so it's like, do you want a good marriage? Yes. Are you willing to die to make that happen? Oh, well, I'm not sure about that. Jesus then asked Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe it? Because again, we can say all this, we can talk about this, but the question is, do you believe it? Will you believe in him? It's interesting when we think about the resurrection of Jesus, and, and I can say to you this morning, yeah, it's really important. And you might say to me, okay, I'm getting what you're saying, it sounds important, but how do I know how do I know that there was a resurrection? Because if I say to you, well, it says so in the Bible, you can say, well, I don't really trust the Bible. How could I trust the Bible? It's a bit of an old book. How do I know it really happened? I can say, well, there were eyewitnesses who, who saw Jesus arisen. They said, well, they're all dead and gone. That was a long time ago. And, you know, these things get fabricated. You can say, you can make up excuses. I can tell you about the people who laid down their lives. So someone like Paul, who I mentioned earlier, Paul was someone who um, really hated Christians, really hated them, and he was killing them. But, but, but because he met the resurrected Jesus, he kind of switched teams, and he changed his life, and then he became the biggest Christian writer there probably ever was. So I could point you to him, or I could point you to James, who was Jesus' brother. You know, if, if your brother or sister turned to you and said, you know what, I'm the Messiah, you might think, I don't think you are. <laughs> but maybe if they were resurrected from the dead, maybe you'd think, maybe they are. <laughs> maybe that would give a bit more. So I could tell you about these people as evidence. I've got a good slide. It's my evidence slide. When we're looking at it, so we can come with our doubts and our questions. But what I want you to actually look at today, I want you to look at those who are being baptised today as your evidence. No pressure, guys. <laughs> but the truth is, the, tr the, the evidence of the resurrection is in the transformation of a person. And I know that I've, I've looked at these guys today and others and I can, see, I can see how you're growing. I can see how you're being transformed. I can see that you are not perfect. Yeah? Because what we're not claiming today is perfection. Everyone's like, amen to that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because each, one of, each of us has come on a different path, but we've come to this place where in answer to Jesus' question, we've said, I believe. I believe. And maybe we didn't get it all. Maybe we didn't know it all. I got baptized here when I was 13. And I didn't get it all. I had some weird ideas. Like, probably still do. Um, but I had some weird ideas about who God was, who I was. I was like, you know, but I was like, I believe, though. There was enough there that I said, I believe. And God took that 
and then grew it and built on that. You know, it, Jesus isn't asking for, perfect, for perfection, but he said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And this is what, when Jesus is saying, I've come and I want to give you resurrection life. And that is a life that has transformed. And often we hear this, and maybe you've seen it, heard it, said it, where you said, man, that person's changed. Now, some people change a lot more dramatically than others. But even then, we're saying that person has changed. And this is what Jesus is actually saying, I'm coming to give you life. I'm not just coming to give you a belief system, a doctrine, a book of rules, or anything like that. I'm coming to give you life. And I'm coming to give you life abundantly. And you can have this life if you join with me in death. And that's when we think about baptism, we think about going down. We join him in death. And then, when thankfully we bring them back up, it's symbolizing that we join with him in resurrection life. And we receive his, and again, not that we receive his spirit today necessarily. I believe we receive his spirit when we're born again. But we receive his spirit that empowers us to live this life. But think back maybe to marriage. Because sometimes in marriage, and maybe it's a bit like, again, our Christian lives, we, it's not all it should be. And again, you might look at your own Christian life this morning and you think, I want fullness of life, you know? But it's not always what it should be. And you know, you look at your marriage and you think, it's not all it should be. And we can have this struggle, and I wonder if that's why we, when we say about this first year of marriage, because there's that time of struggle when we're saying, we're struggling and we're saying, but I was single, I'm used to being single, but now I'm becoming something else. And it's very much like that in our faith, that we're saying, okay, I'm used to being this way, but Jesus is calling me to be something else and going to empower me to do that. But there's a struggle as we learn to be that. There's a struggle in our faith as we put to death the singleness of our mindset and saying, I'm going to die that I might be his. And the reality is, in our Christian life, the, the more you'll see that evidence in someone is the more that they say, the me is going to die, the self is going to die, the singleness is going to die, and I'm going to give myself. Because again, in marriage, there's a giving and I'm going to give myself to Jesus. And that, in that environment, is when there's fruitfulness and life and abundance. Whereas if we're constantly fighting against that, that's when we have difficulty and frustration and we feel like we're never getting anywhere. So my question this morning is, do you want and Jesus says, will you believe? Will you believe that he is the resurrection? And if you believe that, will you lay down your life, accept his, and give yourself to that journey of following him? Amen.